Hello, welcome to Atari Bytes, the show where we take a bite out of the story within a classic Atari 2600 game and see if that story bites us back. My name is Bill, I'm your host. This is episode 293, thanks for listening. I think I got my little normal sequence out of order there, but that's okay. The show still works, it still runs, all the wheels are still on the track, or on the rails. had a whole conversation with Henry earlier about if a train was going along the tracks and... It came to a like a just a flat cement like a road, without dropping at all, perfectly even, you know, level with the tracks, and just kept going off of the tracks onto this flat road. Would the train keep going? His deal was, it's got wheels, the mass is distributed appropriately. It would just keep going unimpeded. My idea is, yes, it has wheels, but it the wheels are made to fit over the rails you know, under normal circumstances, stay on the rails and go like that. So yes, it has wheels and it would roll for a certain amount of time on a flat surface, but before too long, those wheels would buckle or come off or bend or something and the train would stop. My first other thought, counter thought, was, well, what about trolleys, like in San Francisco? But of course, those have their own rails too. So I don't know. Um, If you guys are engineers, either the train kind or the physics kind and you have thoughts about could a train without any modifications just drive along a normal road instead of on tracks let me and henry know sorry i should say let henry and me know all of that of course has nothing to do with this week's game which in a minute is going to be condor attack but first we got some feedback two items of feedback this episode uh, from coincidentally sean and jim from pie factory Um, They both sent in thoughts uh, separately, but they both happen happen to be the hosts of uh, that show. Sean is also the host of Autobiography of a Schnook, and occasionally the um, Atari 7800 podcast. So they both had thoughts about my Halloween episode. Jim first, here's what he wrote. A few things about the current episode. I told you that I live 20 miles from the Braidwood Inn, as seen in planes, trains, and automobiles. Oh, man. As this episode is going out, it is really close to planes, trains, and automobiles season for me. It is awesome movie. It might be a perfect comedy, um, but of course it also has really well done dramatic elements to it. Also, Steve Martin and John Candy are beautiful together. I am, it is a crime against entertainment that they never got to do another movie together because uh, they are perfect. It is probably not an exaggeration to say that I wait all year long to watch this movie. There are times in the summer when I'm tempted to watch the movie just because I liked it so much, but I don't. I wait because it is a... The movie is set at Thanksgiving and it feels like I should watch it around Thanksgiving time, American Thanksgiving. So as this episode is going out, it is really close to time to watch. So I'm pretty pumped about that. Uh, anyway... Jim pointed out to me one day that he lives really close to the Braidwood Inn. He actually sent me a picture of the inn, helpfully pointing out that the uh, exteriors of the uh, Braidwood Inn were used in the movie, but, you know, movie magic, the interiors were filmed somewhere else. Anyway, we're not here, unfortunately, to talk about planes, trains, and automobile. Jim goes on, Well, according to a map on the wall of a bus terminal in the movie Halloween, The Curse of Michael Myers, the town of Haddonfield, Illinois, is 10 miles south of that, meaning south of, um, where the Braidwood Inn is. Where the town should be 
he, uh, Jim says, is an empty spot along Route 66. As for the Chucky series, because I commented on uh, various uh, iconic horror movies, Chucky being one of them. As for the Chucky series, when your Halloween episode dropped, it was on episode 3, the new Chucky TV series. Uh, and it's surprisingly very good. I expressed some skepticism when I was talking about this in the episode. Jim says, I had no idea how they'd make a series out of it, but they did and it succeeded. It's really good. I said uh, in response that that's cool, but it was still a hard pass for me just because it's not something I'm into. He responded, interestingly enough, the new Chucky series deals with bullying of LGBTQ youth, which is awesome. I, I think that's great. Um, so that's cool. Chucky, probably not a show I'm going to watch. As I talked about in the Halloween episode, I'm not really into the horror, slasher, Chucky, Michael Myers, all that stuff. It's just it's not for me. So I'm glad it's a good show. I'd hate to think they were making it just to cash in on the Chucky uh, history. So that's awesome. Another thing I talked about in the Halloween episode were sort of the very briefly the uh, origins of the horror genre. Sean made a comment on the Patreon page for the episode. His comment was basically, um, and I'm sure I'm going to mispronounce it again, uh, for more information on the Grand Gugnol, G-U-I-G-N-O-L, go here. And he sent me a link to thestraightdope.com. According to this article, the place is called the Grand Gignol, Grand Grand Gignol. It closed in 1962. The Theater du Grand Gignol was one of the leading f- tourist attractions in the French capital. The classic shock theater specializing in productions designed to horrify and sicken. No show was considered a success unless at least a couple of audience members fainted or upchucked on their shoes. In its latter years, with competition from Hollywood horror films and real-life nightmares like Auschwitz, the Grand Gignol became pretty campy. But in its day, it produced some truly terrifying theater that explored, admittedly for low commercial purposes, the dark limits of what to be accomplished on the stage. What you got wasn't all that different than what you might see in a Friday the 13th type slasher movie, uh, except for a couple of key points. This was live in your face and sometimes all over your closed theater, conducted by a discur- disconcertingly intimate in a disconcertingly intimate space. The place seated only about 285 and the stage, stage measured 20 by 20 feet. The plays were usually short, ran for your ran three or more to a bill, partook of the queasily immoral outlook that we are pleased to think of as peculiarly French. The characters were typically brutal louts, hapless victims, or both. The guilty often were unpunished. Lovers and friends routinely betrayed one another. For comic relief, the producers might throw in a sex farce, featuring a lineup of seedy characters and illicit affairs you'd pretty much expect in the land of the filthy postcard. Gory special effects... Uh, scenes carried out often at close range, no retakes, eyeball gougings were perennially popular, animal eyes being especially useful for this purpose, because they could be relied upon to bounce when hitting the floor. Disemboweling, self-mutilations, throat slashings, rapes, uh, acid in your face, flesh ripped from the bone. The most effective plays being the ones that coupled true da- grasp of psychology of horror and an over-the-top Gaelic love of the nutso that can weird you out even today. So there you go. We can thank the French, apparently for Michael Myers and Chucky. Thanks, Sean and Jim, for uh, reaching out. Appreciate that. Uh, I am still not any more motivated than I was last episode to watch any of these things, but, you know, that's okay. You know what else is okay? Spoiler. This week's game. This week's game is Condor Attack from Ultravision, 1982. 
I say UltraVision, but when you look at the manual for this game, you're immediately smacked in the face on page one with the uh, declaration that this is Fun Vision Condor Attack. Video arcade system cartridge, Earth Base Command Directives. Earth Base has evolved one million years into the future. An intergalactic dispute erupts into an all out special spatial explosion. Spatial looks like a really cool word, S P A C I A L, but all it really means is occupying a space. Uh, so I'm going to take another run at this. Earth Base has evolved one million years into the future. An intergalactic dispute erupts into an all out spatial explosion, time warping civilization back to the Stone Age. Pitted against each other in a fight for survivor, uh, survival is the Condor. Released from a thousand millennium of extinction, larger and more ferocious than ever imagined, and mankind in his most primitive state. Most primitive state being, uh, according to this cover anyway, naked and holding a gun. Sounds about right, actually. You're in command of the only sophisticated weapon to survive the millennium warp. You will be alone at this remote fire base... I don't know why they call it a firebase. Maybe because you future humans who go to the past invent fire, ironically enough, I guess. Face a critical and difficult mission. You must use the galactic disintegrator and all your skill and energy to defend against this deadly invader. And then bold print, they tell you. Carefully review these instructions. Engage your equipment and concentrate your entire attention on the battle to follow. The instructions being basically to put the cartridge in the console, turn it on. With the left difficulty switch in A and the right difficulty switch in A, you get a large earth firebase dimension. B and B gets you a small firebase dimension. The larger your galactic disintegrator firebase dimensions, the harder it is for you to avoid being destroyed by the condor's attack on your weapon's arsenal. Small firebases allow you quick evasion of enemy fire. This difficult decision is yours. I tried it both ways. They're really not that much different either way, frankly. Select the game you wish to play by depressing the game select switch. The game number appears in the lower left-hand side of the screen. When the Great Condor was released from extinction. I don't know what that means. Most of this, um, not that I expect hard science from my Atari manual, but most of this is a bunch of gobbledygook. I don't know what being released from extinction means. You were extinct, and now you're not. You're going to be extinct, and now you're not until we destroy you? I, I, I'm very confused. But anyway, when the Great Condor was released from extinction, two smaller but deadlier nemeses, should be nemeses, were also thrown back into prehistoric time. The Nairobian Spider, N-I-R-O-B-E-A-N, Nairobian Spider, the closest thing I could find to that actually being a thing, according to the internet, was the Nerubian Spider, N-E-R-U-B-I-A-N, and that's not a real thing either. It's the Nerubian Spider Lord, from some other game. Google also shared with me a bunch of really freaky pictures of spiders. It's creeping me out a little bit. Anyway, so you've got Nairobian spiders, known for its speed and traversing great expanses of space, and the Vulcanian bat. Not the Vulcan bat. The Vulcanian bat. A company called Vulcan makes bat grips. The best grip tape for your bat. But I don't see anything called a Vulcanian bat. Like an animal. But in this universe of this game... Vulcanian bats are venomous and destructive with lightning agility. You can determine your choice of challenge. Each has its own cunning and skill in directing its destruction upon your firebase. The objective of this prehistoric cosmic battle is to defend Earth and mankind from being taken over by these deadly enemies. I don't know if they want to take you over so much as destroy you. Because, to be fair, you just showed up unexpectedly with guns and started killing them. 
The other goal is to allow the few remaining scientists to develop a way to reverse the time warp and return mankind a thousand millenniums into the future to resume normal life. To defend Earth, use your joystick controller. Uh, push the controller forward to materialize the firebase. There are six galactic disintegrator firebases at your disposal. Points are scored by destroying the enemy as they soar above or swoop in to attack you. Different points are given for the size of enemy destroyed and the level of difficulty which you have obtained in your defense of the firebase. As you progress, condors, spiders, and bats appear with varying frequency but increase the rate of descent and greatly vary the pattern of attack, even disappearing on one side of the screen and reappearing on the other side. Point values range from, looks like, 3 to 20, and that is about it. Instructions are pretty simple. The game is pretty simple. We'll talk in a minute about whether that's a good thing or not. And you can look for more UltraVision video arcade games wherever you buy video cartridges. Although, as I recall, there's not all that many to choose from. And that is how you play Condor Attack from UltraVision, 1982. I'm not rich or famous. I'm not a movie star, rock icon, first responder, nurse, doctor, or anybody else whom we all look up to. I'm just a schnook. Just like Bill, I love to tell stories. Unlike Bill, though, I'm not creative enough to write my own, so I just tell my own real-life stories in this book-read-by-the-author-style podcast all about life lessons growing up, and every episode, a segment about music. Music that I love, artists that I admire, and sometimes even my own music. You can find Autobiography of a Schnook on all your favorite podcast suppliers, or you can go to schnookpodcast.com. That's S-C-H-N-O-O-K, podcast.com. And I firmly believe the good goes around, and I sincerely hope that Autobiography of a Schnook proves to be some good that goes around your way. I had never heard of this game until I just happened to randomly see it on a list of Atari games. And I thought, oh, I wonder what that is. I'll put it on the list to do on the show. So I did. So I really knew, frankly, not much about it till today, the day I'm recording it. So it's been a bit of an education. Dr. Spuds, on Atari Age, the Dr. Spuds Reviews Things column, took a look at this game. And he opens his review thusly. Hey, who remembers UltraVision? Those guys who announced a too-good-to-be-true console scrapped it, then released a grand total of two games for the 2600 before vanishing entirely. The two games they released were Karate and Condor Attack. I know nothing about the console that they apparently promised. If anyone would like to shed some light on that, please do. Dr. Spuds opines that Karate is pretty well-known and pretty common and a piece of crap. It's been done to death, and that's probably why I'm never going to review it, unless I'm very desperate. But Condor Attack tends to fly under the radar due to the fact there are very few easily attainable re-releases. There are the KTEL and FunVision versions. Okay, that explains the FunVision on the manual I was looking at. But they're pretty pricey. He goes on to talk about how he got a copy of the game, which he thinks is ugly. All of the attacking enemies are low-res and monochrome to boot. The background is black, the floor is a girder from Minor 2049er, and your gun is the only thing that is discernibly multicolored. Eh, I'm not sure that's true. I don't have the game up on the screen in front of me right now, but I felt like there was more color than that. Enemies move around very choppily, uh, that's true. And in the card I got, whenever an enemy moved down the screen or was killed, or if I was killed, the screen jumped and in some cases rolled. No, I didn't really experience that. I also got some of this jumpiness on an emulator, Stella 5.1. But it seems playing on actual hardware exasperates this problem. 
The game's perfectly playable, just looks a bit weird. The graphics are just the bare basics, the absolute minimum to pass off as a game, which really reflects well on the Ultra Vision. Sounds are simple, that's true. Just like the graphics, the sound provides the bare minimum to qualify. You shoot, they shoot. You explode, they explode. New game. That's pretty much it. Sounds are ear grating, since most of them are fairly high-pitched, not allowing the chunkiness I so desire. I know it's rare, I know it's unique, it sort of falls into the same realm as Menavision's Air Raid. The game's crap, but people will pay over four figures for one in the box. Can the gameplay save the game? Yes, it can. The game is fun. I liked it. I can look past the exterior ugliness of a game as long as it's fun to play. Condor Attack delivers. It's a blatant ripoff of Demon Attack, Phoenix, Phoenix, that's what I was trying to think of. Communist Mutants from Space. I don't know that one. Space Invaders Galaxian. Yeah, that's another one that this game reminded me of, but I couldn't put my finger on it. The game is all about the score. I won't say it's particularly well programmed, but what's here is fairly decent. For what it's worth right now, I just pulled up eBay. Atari 2600 Karate Condor Attack Ultra Vision Fun Vision. So apparently both cartridges. $5,500 what one person's asking for. And, oh, sorry, $4.55 shipping. That might be a deal breaker. Somebody else has Condor Attack T-Handle video game cartridge for $400. Another one for $89.99. $400, $600. So save your pennies is what I'm saying if you want to buy this game. Meanwhile, Game Facts calls the game a bad game with a unique and mysterious lore to it. It sucks hardcore and is all around a dud, but it's uber rare and got a nifty cart design and is heavily sought after by collectors. It's an obvious demon attack clone, a pretty bad one at that, but still manages to be somewhat fun just because it copies demon attack and it's fun to laugh at. It's also hard as heck, but for the wrong reasons. It goes at crazy speeds by the second round and the condors hover just above the ground and constantly attack. Collision detection is awful. Yeah, I did kind of feel that too. Birds can shoot you just after they explode. Yep, I experienced that. And they can wrap around the screen as well as disappear and reappear randomly. Even the shots are irregular. The game speeds up and slows down at random intervals, so scoring is unpredictable at best, and it's all due to bad programming. The graphics are choppy and flaky. The sounds are fine for what they are, but are ripped straight from Demon Attack. And in conclusion, it's one of those games that's fun for curiosity alone, but is a programming mess. It was pirated too many times to count, so if you want to play it, finding one of those is the cheapest bet. Collectors love this one. It's super expensive, but bad to play. Another character is that UltraVision sold the rights to KTEL Vision, who then later sold another legal NTSC version, making another rare copy of a bad game needed for their collection. Rating 3. On that cheery note, let's talk about California and Andean condors. Condor is the common name for two species of New World vultures, each in a monotypic genus. They are the largest flying land birds in the Western Hemisphere. The Andean condor inhabits the Andean mountains. The California condor is currently currently restricted to the western coastal mountains of the United States and Mexico and the northern desert mountains of Arizona. Both are large, broad-winged, soaring birds. The Andean condor is 5 centimeters shorter beak to tail on average than the northern species, but heavier and larger in wingspan. California condors are the largest flying land birds in North America. Among all living flying birds, the Andean condor is the third heaviest after the Cory Bustard. It's important to articulate that word correctly. And Great Bustard, and second only to the wandering albatross in wingspan. The adult plumage is uniformly black, with the exception of a frill of white feathers nearly surrounding the base of the neck, which are meticulously kept clean by the bird. 
As an adaptation for hygiene, the condor's head and neck have few feathers, which exposes the skin to the sterilizing effects of dehydration and solar ultraviolet light at high altitudes. The head is much flattened above. In the male, it is crowned with a caruncle or comb, while the skin of the neck in the male lies in folds, forming a waddle. The skin of the head and neck is capable of flushing noticeably in response to emotional state, which serves to communicate between individuals. They have a greatly elongated middle toe, and the hinder one but slightly developed, while the talons of the toes are comparatively straight and blunt. The feet are thus more adapted to walking, as in their relatives, the storks. The female, contrary to the usual rule among birds of prey, is smaller than the male. Fossils from the Pleistocene era have been found in various parts of North America, including New York and Florida, leading scientists to believe the California condors or their ancestors once lived in the west, on the west coast of North America, as well as all the way to the eastern coast. Some scientists also believe that an ancient relative of the condor from South America may have been the largest flying bird ever, with a wingspan of 7 meters. The Moque people of ancient Peru worshipped nature. They placed emphasis on animals and often depicted condors in their art. The Andean condor lives for a long age, 50 years, and has been said that in the wild they can live to 60 years. California condors travel widely to feed on carcasses of of deer, pigs, cattle, sea lions, whales, and other animals. Pairs nest in caves high on cliff faces. The population fell to just 22 birds in the 1980s, but there are now some 233 flying birds in California, Arizona, and Baja, California, with another 160 in captivity. Lead poisoning remains a severe threat to their long-term prospects. If you're within range of condors in central California, the Big Sur Coast, or Pinnacles National Monument, southern California, inland from Ventura in the Sespe Wilderness, or around the Grand Canyon, keep your eyes peeled for large, dark, soaring birds. Study them closely to make sure they don't teeter like a vulture, and check their proportions to help rule out Butios, eagles, and small planes. One reason California condor recovery has been slow is their extremely slow reproduction rate. Female condors lay only one egg per nesting attempt, and they don't always nest every year. The young depend on their parents for more than 12 months and take 6 to 8 years to reach maturity. Condors average about 30 miles per hour in flight and can get up to 40 miles an hour. 16 seconds to complete a circle in soaring flight. By comparison, bald eagles and golden eagles normally circle in 12 to 14 seconds, and red-tailed hawks circle in 8 to 10 seconds. Condors can go a week to two weeks without eating, and they once foraged on offshore islands visiting mammal and seabird colonies to eat carrion eggs and possibly live prey, such as nestlings. The name condor comes from kuntur, which originated from the Inca name for the Andean condor. Andean condors, in contrast, can live up to 75 years. They're pretty heavy, they weigh up to 33 pounds, an enormous 10-foot wingspan, found in mountainous regions but also live near coasts replete with ocean breezes and deserts that feature strong thermal air turns. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed Bird Hour on the podcast. After the break, the rest of the episode takes flight. Well, it's that time again. The skies are blue, birds are flying overhead. Oh, aren't they pretty? Wait, those birds are huge. Wait, they're evil condors. Ah! Run, Henry! I would like there to be dodo birds. Well, the dodo birds are already extinct. The condors are actually, ex- well, they're not extinct yet, but they're going to be. But weirdly, this is a game where we're trying to kill the condors. So. Ignoring the environmental 
implications of that, we're about to play Condor Attack from Ultravision. Or as it said on the manual, Fun Vision. Is it fun? Let's find out. No, it's not Dinosaur. Well, I hear you, Henry, but, you know, you take what you get. There's dinosaur games and dinosaurs are extinct. Well, yeah, it's too late for them. Condors still have a chance. Mm-hmm. All right, let's go. They've already started shooting. I'm not even there yet. Chill out, condors. Although I wonder if they're so much shooting at me as pooping on me. I mean, they're birds. Alright, let's do it. There's me. This game is more or less... Um, man, see, it's hard for me to talk and play games at the same time. I was going to say it's more or less Space Invaders. That's not exactly what it is. I don't know what I'm trying to think of, but probably in the earlier part of this episode where I talked about where this game came from, I mentioned some comparisons, but I can't remember what they are now because I haven't, spoiler, recorded that part of the show yet. Man, I may have to start this over again. I'm actually playing on the easy setting. It moves pretty fast. It's pretty repetitive, as you can see, but it goes really fast. Man! Alright, let's try that again. Um, the birds look good. All the flappy wings and stuff. Your little, uh, laser thing really just looks to me like a jar of honey. One of those squeezable bear honey jar things. It looks like a rectangle. You think it looks like a rectangle? Where does it go when it reaches the top? Where does what go? The rectangle, it grows. It gets bigger. Yeah? Like, it gets bigger for one thing. Like, that was the south wall, and then it disappears. Man. Towards the end of a wave or whatever, the birds all go nuts. Like they're doing right now. I find it goes a little better if I just look at my shooter thing instead of looking at what I'm shooting at. And just trust that I hit things. Think, Henry. How's it look? I yeah. Don't know. Um, that was a low-scoring game, but I don't think you get a whole lot of points like, for like shooting breakout. anyway. What? Like the breakout game? Breakout? You have to like shoot it. Well, yeah, where you have the solid blocks up the top. Yeah, larger then, than like, you have to like shoot it. Well, I mean, effectively, it is like that. You're right, Henry. It's not quite that, but it's close. It's not quite Space Invaders, but it's close. I don't know what it is. I'll think about it some more until you uh, after the break. For now, back to you in the studio. Second Duck on the Right and Other Very Short Stories is my new short story collection. Duck con artists, zombies, 
things on fire, supervillain angst, and a future without poop are just a few of the topics in these stories. Also, the occasional really bad poem. Waddle on over to your favorite bookseller, or swim downstream to my website, carnivalofgleecreations.com, for more information. Insert quacking up joke here. For years, Dogwater Hunt, alien abductee, many times over, has scanned the skies waiting for the aliens to return to his hometown of Santa Claus, Indiana. Yes, it's a real place. This year on Christmas Eve, Dogwater believes it will happen. Dogwater's friend, Cameron Jones, a successful novelist, is struggling with writer's block. A talking goldfish? That's normal, isn't it? And a battle with his ex-wife over her plan to move to England with their five-year-old daughter. Meanwhile, up at the North Pole, Santa himself has got his own problems. After centuries of being jolly, the constant tide of kids who believe, then don't anymore, is wearing on him. So he quits, hangs up the red suit, and is cringled no more. Where does he go? Santa Claus, Indiana, obviously. The story of how these three men are thrown together is told in the novel In the Saint Nick of Time, written by the guy you've been listening to this whole episode. It's about time there was a Santa Claus story for adults, so he wrote one. Will these guys save Christmas? Probably. That's how these books work. But you gotta read it to find out how. Go to www.carnivalofgleekcreations.com for more information about the book and some of the places you can order it. Happy Holidays! Here's the thing about Condor Attack. It is really frustrating. I agree with all the technical complaints that the reviewers had. The hit detection and the weird patterns. I didn't so much see the, the weird flight patterns as programming messes. So much that as throwing you weird challenges. I do think, sounds whiny, I think it, it may be a little bit unfair, some of the unpredictability. But I don't hate it either. It's not a game I would sit there and play for hours. For one thing, my hands cramp up holding the controller. Maybe, maybe I'm getting old. I don't know. But uh, it's just one of those games that, you know, the, the constant firing and the, the holding the controller and stuff just makes this old guy cramp up. It, plus, there's not a whole lot to it, right? It's pretty simplistic. Uh, but then, I mean, to be fair, so is uh, Space Invaders and Galactica, not Galactica, Galaxian. All those other ones, Demon Attack, they're all pretty simple. Um, so I, I guess maybe that's not a knock so much as uh, an observation. It, so it's fine. I think it's. I, I don't think it's so terrible that you got to wonder what Ultravision could have come up with for other games had they not folded or whatever happened that they stopped making games. I've never played the other one, the karate game, so I can't really compare the quality of the two games. If you guys have thoughts about Ultravision or Condor Attack, or anything really, you know how to contact me. It's story time on Atari Bites. Yes, it's story, story, 
Story Story Time with Bill. This week's story is titled Attacked. Jay Condor pushed his phone across the table where it dinged against Cat's plate of lobster rolls. Look at this, Jay Condor said. Cat dabbed at some creamy Dijon sauce on her cheek with a napkin. Dude, eat your lunch. We gotta get back. Just look at it, Jay Condor said. Mouthful of lobster, Cat glanced down at Jay Condor's phone and said, Winged kittens. Jay Condor snatched the phone back. Sorry, screensaver. He opened his preferred, until lately, social media app. Read this, he instructed and handed the phone back. Jay Condorable 27 ate it too, she read dutifully. Yeah, Jay Condor said coldly. Kent from tech support posted it. So? Remember the three of us talking about Ferris Bueller's day off the other day? That scene where Principal Rooney gets on the school bus and sees that some kid wrote Rooney eats it on the back of the seat? Yeah, that's where Kent got this. Douchebag. Easy, man, Cat said. Yeah, Kent's a douchebag, but for so many other reasons than 35-year-old movie references. Whatever, Jay Condor said, tossing aside his napkin in an unconvincing show of nonchalance. Cat paid the bill. Jay Condor was too busy sulking. She was pretty sure he muttered at one point, I never eat it. As the two walked through the parking lot back to the office, Crystal from Jay Condor's Cactus Bubble Work Group marched up to him. Way to tank that presentation yesterday, dumbass she said, and kept walking. What'd you do that sucked so bad? Cat asked. Nothing, Jay Condor said. I didn't even give the presentation. That was Brenda. Oh, Cat said, appraising Jay Condor. Well, you and Brenda do look kind of alike. Must be the boobs. I've been working out, Jay Condor muttered. A call came through mid-afternoon for Jay Condor from an important client. Aren't they all, supposedly? Jay Condor was one of the few that could handle him. Timmy! Jay Condor said brightly. What's up, good sir? You. You. Oh, and you even harder with a thing that it really sucks to with. I'm sensing a problem, Timmy, Jay Condor said. Well, that's the only smart thing you've said today, Timmy said. These numbers are Jay Condor had emailed the final report and invoice for Timmy's Make America Mine campaign that Jay Condor's company had worked on. I don't understand, Timmy, Jay Condor said. It's what you agreed to. No kidding, you don't understand. Your work was... Timmy said. What's wrong with it, Jay Condor said, really trying not to be defensive. He'd come in three straight weekends to work on this campaign. Timmy grunt sighed. (sighs) Is America mine? He said. Um, literally or metaphorically? Jay Condor said, chuckling a little. No, it's not mine. Timmy said, answering his own question. America's a bunch of whiny, imbecilic... You. And so are you. Then, Timmy hung up. At the bodega that afternoon, a bag of granola was knocked from Jay Condor's hand by a monolith that turned out to be Ray Bradstein. I hope you're happy, Ray Bradstein said in a baritone that shook the bodega's dingy floor tiles. Less and less all the time, sighed Jay Condor. Svetlana dumped me, dillhole. So, sorry? Jay Condor said. The monolith encroached further into Jay Condor's space. Its breath reeked of asparagus. So it's your fault, Ray Bradstein said. Ray, Jay Condor said. I haven't talked to Svetlana in two years. Not since she dumped me for you. Whatever, bone munch, Ray Bradstein said. 
He slapped the strawberry yogurt from Jay Condor's other hand and walked away. Yogurt splattered on Jay Condor's shoes. The store owner made him pay for the yogurt anyway. The mugger who accosted Jay Condor at knife point on the way home from work that night, oddly, only wanted Jay Condor's shoes. Chokes on him, Jay Condor thought as he shuffled home in his winged kitten socks. That night, double deadbolted into his apartment, Jay Condor was alone and contemplating how peaceful that was. Timmy wants America, Jay Condor said to the framed winged kitten's poster over the couch. He can have it. I'm done. Jay Condor sunk further into the couch, chasing his mood to the layer of stale corn chips and toaster pastry goo under the cushions. People suck, he said. Jay Condor wondered if he could still sign up to work from home. Less Kent in his life could only make things more pleasant. Then he'd cancel his social media accounts and have all his groceries delivered and give up on women. Since COVID, people had become so... Well, they'd always been so... Jay Condor didn't know what exactly, but now they were more of that. And Jay Condor wanted no part of it anymore. His phone chimed. A text. Great, he groaned. Forget that noise. But a flicker of a message over at the Wind Kitten screensaver involuntarily grabbed his eye. It was a text from Cat. Got a problem, the message said. Without even thinking, Jay Condor typed back. I'm here. Hi, this is 8-Bit Rocket, Jeff Fulton from the Into the Vertical Blank Generation Atari podcast. And you are listening to the incomparable William Pepper and his wonderful stories of the game within a game on the Atari Bytes podcast. When you are done here, come visit us in the Vertical Blank. Now, back to Bill. And that's our show. Thanks to Kevin McLeod at Incomprotect.com for Creative Commons' use of his songs, Reformat, Take a Chance, and Pinball Spring. Thanks to Sean Courtney for the Storytime theme. You should go attack Apple Podcast with love for the show. Make sure your five-star reviews consor above all the others. Consor, like condor, but not? No? Anyway, email the show at ataribytes2016 at gmail.com. Like the show on our Facebook page. Follow the show on Twitter at ataribytes. Or follow me personally at Carnival of Glee. You can also check us out on Instagram. And you can even call and leave us a voicemail, because I'm never, ever, 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 ever going to answer the phone. But I would still love to hear from you and share your thoughts with everybody else. And to do that, all you have to do is call 563-265-1978 and share your ramblings with the world. At least the portion of the world that listens to this show. Check out the website, www.carnivalofgleecreations.com for information and whatnot for this show. For my other show, Atari Bytes, sorry, that is this show. For my other show, it's a podcast, Charlie Brown. What else are you going to find there? You're going to find information about books that I've written, like Second Duck on the Right and other very short stories, which is out now. And you should go pick it up wherever you like to get books. The website, helpfully, has links to a few of the places that you can get it. But really, wherever you like to get books, you can probably find it. And please do. And then please go leave a review at that place later telling people what you thought of it. You should also, when you're considering things, uh, consider supporting the show by subscribing at the Patreon page for Atari Bytes. Subscribers can get stuff, starting with my eternal gratitude and thanks on this very podcast, all the way up to and including the ability to help program this show and other cool stuff in between. Also, you can 
in a sense, hang out with these fine folks. Michael Tyler, Jose Cazeta, Sean Courtney, M. West, Patrick McCarthy, Jeremy L., Mark Super, and Jim Doble. Fine folks, one and all. Thank you to each of them. All right, we are just about out of here. All that's left is to tell you next time on Atari Bytes. We're playing a game called Cakewalk, which I also know nothing about, other than I gather that it's kind of sort of like Tapper. And if that's true, it's going to be a good one, because Tapper is really a lot of fun. Not to put too much pressure on Cakewalk. So until next time, go play some old games. They've missed you. Thank you.